Herzlich Willkommen zum Modellansatz, der mathematische Podcast aus Karlsruhe mit Gudrun Täter und Sebastian Ritterbusch. Hallo Martina Hallo Gudrun. So Martina Hoffmannova is a guest today at our faculty and she gave a very fascinating talk about um, the way to understand turbulence a little bit better. And uh, fortunately she was ready uh, to spend some time with me to have a conversation about this topic um, because um, I really wanted to have this conversation and it's already late and her day was really stressful. So um, I'm especially happy that she agreed to speak with me. Um, so why is turbulence such an interesting topic? Do you have some examples which um, we could have um, in front of our inner eye mm -hmm. for the start of the conversation? Yeah, definitely. Actually, turbulence is very important in our lives and somehow happens everywhere. We may not even realize it. As one example, I have, for instance, smoke. Uh, of a candle which goes up yeah, and at first it is somehow smooth but then we see this chaotic movement so that's what turbulence is about we can observe a similar phenomenon in atmosphere like hurricanes for instance um, and we would like to understand that for for weather forecast and another example is for instance uh, when an airplane passes by Then in the air afterwards, we see such a spiral objects. This is also a turbulent flow. Mm -hmm. So in uh, your pictures, um, turbulence is always connected to like spiral movement of fluid. Yes, this is for the hydrodynamic turbulence. Mm -hmm. Yes. And um, of course, if you say we want to understand that better, this means for us as mathematicians that we should come up with equations. Exactly. We would like to have a model, possibly some differential equation, partial differential equation. And in the end, our solution, if it exists, it would give us a description of this process, of this flow. Hmm. Of course, there's always the question, what is a good model then? Uh, because um, in a way, if we have flow like um, f near to the candle, as you described, which we call laminar, mm -hmm. Um, we have the feeling that everything is really well determined and um, things behave, so the changes are as very small and so uh, the description seems to be um, quite easy. But whenever we have turbulence, and for example also when we try to have like really nice circular movements in um, uh, blowing things, things like that, we see that the smallest tiny bit which influences this changes sometimes the pattern completely. So the question is if there is really a good model uh, which can take into account that these small changes can have big influence. Yeah, exactly. This is somehow still a big question in physics, engineering, also in mathematics. Exactly as you described it, that even the slightest change somehow gets amplified through the turbulent flow. And that's probably also one of the reasons why still somehow all covering turbulence theory is missing. 
Yeah. So you mean there is not really a general theory of turbulence? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's also kind of funny because uh, when you uh, see signs from outside and also when you enter as a young person, you always have this feeling that um, there are these elderly persons, in my case mostly elderly men with white hair, uh, which proved a lot of very important results in the past, which uh, I'm using for my PhD. And then you learn to know them and they give lectures at uh, um conferences and uh, they have really a deep understanding and knowledge and um, they should really behave dignified and uh, there was just one um, point at the conference where I really saw persons losing losing it completely like really dis sense. discussing in a very very heated way so two elderly men about the right model for turbulence mm -hmm. And so in this situation, I understood a few things. The first, they are all human beings. And the second one, turbulence is really hard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think even nowadays, there is no real model of turbulence. There are some models which are good for some situations. There are some other models that are good for some other situations. But maybe there won't be any general model of turbulence. Maybe yeah. it's just too complicated and too many processes involved. Yeah. So the kind of standard um, fluid flow, um, which um, was studied, I don't know, it started 100 years ago and we are still kind of sticking to it because that's the best understood. Uh, with the Navier-Stokes equation, very heavily relies on the fact that we consider the fluid flow to be incompressible which means um, if you put on like material work, so in really like a pressure, which comes from forces, uh, this doesn't really change the density of the flow. It can change through temperature changes, but it's, it's really hard to get the model doing that completely right. But with the incompressibility, there is kind of a physical, very strong basis what it means. And also mathematically, there's a very strong basis what we can prove. There are still open gaps. But um, it's kind of obvious that we can't really learn things about real turbulence from these types of equations. Yeah, I agree with you. One would like to simulate it and then see some turbulence. Mm. Yeah, it's still somehow difficult. Mm. Of course, there's always this um, topic that um, if you have some disturbances from the boundary, even for this well-established um, incompressible uh, model, you could have um, some inflow of um, chaotic behavior, so kind of mini-turbulent things, even in the incompressible model. But um, since we still have this gap in the theory, we don't really know if this happens. Yeah. And even if it happens, um, there is the strong feeling that this is not the turbulence we were speaking about before, but a kind of a pattern which um, can only cover part of it. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the first step, of course, then must be to go away from the incompressibility condition to allow for compressibility. Exactly. This is also what we try to do in, in my research. So we consider the compressible Navier-Stokes system. And this should describe uh, fluids which uh, experience changes in their density, such as gases. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, that's kind of funny also for me. Um, kind, you know, I, I started to study this from the side of a mathematician, so just taking the equations for granted. And then I came across this um, Rayleigh-Bernard problem uh, where I was really asking myself why the equations look so differently when I take them from different papers and then going into this a little bit deeper and then um, kind of learning that, of course, a lot of the applications, uh, for especially Rayleigh-Bernard, they really use this for gases. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was always thinking, oh, they are compressible. Uh -huh. Why can they use this incompressibility? But of course, the answer to that is that um, it's so hard um, to really understand what a compressible model does. And so they are just using incompressible models as long as the difference is not so huge that it's obvious that they can't use it. I see, I see. Yeah, as a simplified model somehow. Mm. So um, if we allow for compressibility in the model, um, how do you derive your partial differential equations? Where is the big difference to the incompressible situation? Basically, also the incompressible model is derived from the basic physical principle. Yeah. So the Newton's law, there is the balance of mass, which is basically then the incompressibility condition. Um, and there is the balance of linear momentum. So this is the same for compressible and incompressible. But um, in the incompressible setting, the resulting system simplifies. Yeah, <laughs> it simplifies, for example, that we completely use the density as a variable. Uh, because we only have um, the condition and the divergence of the velocity to vanish. Exactly. And then we have an equation where we have kind of a combination of um, changes in the velocity and time and space and the gradient of the pressure. Exactly, yes. Yeah. And then also it's kind of um, interesting that um, we don't really need any boundary or initial conditions for the pressure, only for the velocity. Yes, that's true. That's true. And so for the compressible regime, of course, we have the density back. Mm -hmm. as something which has to be calculated with the help of the system. Yeah, and the pressure is now a function of the density, or one could even consider more general models where it also depends on the temperature. But so far I have only considered this density-dependent pressure. Yeah, so it's kind of an exchange. Um, instead of the pressure, which is in our incompressible system, we have to take care of the density. But of course, you know... <laughs> Sorry, I have to laugh. Because um, it, one of the nice things about the incompressible system is that, in a way, we uh, it's easy to lose the pressure completely and True. only work with the velocity. And nevertheless, whenever you kind of um, go away from the standard ways and need the pressure, then uh, the pressure is always really behaving very badly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's difficult to estimate and things like that. Um, and now I was like, oh, the easy pressure goes away and the difficult density comes. Uh, but of course, it's uh, I think, in my opinion, it's still a kind of harder with the density. Um, since especially what I find very fascinating is that, of course, as a density, it should be something which is non-negative. And even to be zero is kind of a property which should not happen too often because we don't really have vacuum, you know, like happening as a stable situation. Exactly. Yeah. And so you always start with proving that um, under which condition the density stays positive. Yeah, and that's difficult to prove. So in general, we cannot say much about it. And that's also connected to 
a problem with uniqueness, that we cannot prove uniqueness or we don't know how to. Mm. And um, <clears throat> nevertheless, um, with this compressible setting, um, at first it always sounds like, you know, just take this well-studied incompressible case and just a little bit generalization so you allow for the density to vary but of course it changes the ways how to prove things completely exactly it it totally changes the nature of the problem because suddenly we have a hyperbolic equation for the density and somehow we have to fit it together with the other equation for the momentum and things become different mm. Yes, of course, you could say that, um, of course, there is still a part of this hyperbolic equation in the incompressible setting. But, of course, um, this is kind of a um, a condition uh, to the solution. It's not really like an equation. Exactly. So you yes. just kind of take it in order to choose from a subset yes. of your um, space in which you allow for solutions. And so it's not really like an equation which you solve Exactly. Yeah. In in this sense, it's like you restrict your possible space, state space, mm. to a smaller one. Yes, and of course, um, hyperbolic equations. It's of it's necessary to have them in the compressible case because you must allow waves to travel. And if mm -hmm. you don't really have yeah. uh, waves in, in your system, there is no chance for turbulence. Kind of. This is very rough. This is kind of um, so from the inner picture of things. Um, nevertheless, then you get information uh, from this hyperbolic system um, about the density and um, all the spaces which fit to this system in the mathematical and also kind of in a physical way are not really the right spaces for the momentum equation. Yeah, exactly. One has to be very careful because the system is rather delicate. So there are some function spaces where, for instance, the density lives, where the momentum lives. Yeah, and one needs to find a way how to put all of that together to actually solve the equation. Um, now, uh, in your lecture today, you presented um, an approach where you even allow um, for things to be um, stochastically changed, so kind of having a model which allows to quantify the influence of these small changes. So it's kind of a mathematical tool to introduce that. Um, so on which places um, do you allow for stochastics to enter the equations? So we uh, basically introduce stochasticity or randomness in two forms. First of all, we consider random initial conditions. And then second of all, uh, we introduce a stochastic forcing in the system. That means that in our partial differential equation, uh, we introduce a stochastic term. And this should be understood as an external force, which is random. It could also stand for some friction, which is random. Or one could somehow include like uncertainty in the model. Because if you think about it, every such PDE is a simplification of a very complex system mm -hmm. with many degrees of freedom and many influences which we don't see in those equations because they were neglected. Because we thought, okay, this is not important. Tem temperature is not important. We neglect temperature. But yeah, maybe we shouldn't be neglecting all those things. And, you know, if you add many times epsilon, you could still get something big. 
And therefore all these uncertainties could be hidden in such a stochastic forcing. And um, of course, if you allow for um, a connection between so our usual, so to say, um, PDE approach and the stochastic approach, then you have to be very clear what type of solutions you are trying to find. Mm -hmm. So what is your answer for that? Well, in SPDE, so stochastic partial differential equations, we usually speak about two kinds of solutions. There are probabilistically strong solutions and probabilistically weak solutions. Probabilistically strong means that the underlying probability space where our for instance, Brownian motion is defined. So everything is defined on some probability space. And if this could be given to you in advance, and then you solve the equation on that space, you have obtained probabilistically strong solution. However, very often it happens that you cannot solve the equation on that probability space. And the only thing that you can do is to find another probability space and to solve the equation there. This is usually connected to the method of compactness. So when we use stochastic compactness, we need to somehow change the space. And then we speak about probabilistically weak solutions. Mm -hmm. Of course, um, there's always um, the question why... Um, of course, you know, <laughs> I have to go one step back. Because we were discussing turbulence as something which uh, where small changes have big um, outcomes maybe. But nevertheless, we have this feeling that there is kind of one principal process, which kind of is the one which is really driving everything forward uh, in a more stable um, type. And then we have these small things around that. Sometimes these small things overwhelm the, the big thing. But nevertheless, there is um, the idea that there are some stabilizing forces uh, in the equation. And then we have to find them and use them in order to prove our mathematical result. Uh, what were um, stabilizing terms in, in your compressible? So by stabilizing, you probably mean like dissipative terms, which yes, usually help somehow? This is somehow. the thing which would um, come to mind to me firstly, because dissipation is so helpful. Yes, yes, exactly. So that's also what helps in the incompressible model. But the dissipation in the compressible model is kind of tricky. There is some dissipation in the velocity, but as we said, the density equation is hyperbolic, so there is no dissipation. And there is also no dissipation of momentum. So it's kind of very delicate, and yeah, one has to find a way to use that nevertheless. Mm. Yes, and of course there will be um, certain balances in the equations which lead to different outcomes um, over time. So kind of uh, sometimes things are stabilizing anyway, if something is strong enough to make it stable. And exactly. sometimes it's just not stabilizing or it's kind of stabilizing to some orbit of periodic things or things like that. Yes, and that's what we observe in the compressible model. So we could nevertheless prove existence of stationary solutions. So there is some sort of stabilization, even though the equation for the density is hyperbolic. But there is some convergence of the density, so one could prove something. Yeah, it sounds a bit um, um, surprising yeah, that, um, that there are really positions in this um, process 
where nothing changes anymore. Because that's what you say if you say there is a steady state, a steady solution. Yes, exactly. Then there is some point where it's just kind of like, like an equilibrium or a point where things could turn into... Yes, but uh, by steady state, I still mean this probabilistically steady. So it still depends on time, but the law is the same. The law doesn't, the probability distribution doesn't change in time. I have to be careful with that because I'm never really thinking about the stochastics behind that, yeah. even if it's important. <clears throat> of course, there's a really the question, so kind of funny from my side because I'm myself a person who spends her time studying fluid flow, but um, how did you end up with treating especially these very technically challenging and complicated compressible um, models. That happened a couple of years ago. I met my co-author Dominic Bright for the first time. We actually met in Prague where we were both invited to give a seminar talk. And I somehow motivated him to study SPDEs, which I'm really happy about. And then after some time he wrote me that he would like to work with me and whether we could maybe find some common project. And so one idea that I already had in mind before was to study this compressible system. The reason was that um, a professor whom I uh, knew in Prague, Bohdan Maslowski, together with Eduard Feireisel, who is also in Prague, they wrote a paper on stochastic compressible Navier-Stokes system, but they used a certain transformation to basically get rid of the noise and then use deterministic theory. And I thought, this is kind of cheating. So I wanted a real stochastic theory for that system. And so we started working together with Dominic. And our first paper was existence for the real stochastic noise. Um, and then, yeah, once we had this paper, well, you know, probably Edward Feireisel, he's like the expert on compressible fluid. So, of course, we wanted to show him. And so we went again to Prague, we showed him our result, we discussed, and he became very interested and very excited about SPDEs. We started working together, and this has been really an amazing collaboration. They are both very productive, so this was really impressive. So we have now uh, several papers, we have a book which appeared uh, last week, and yeah, so I'm, I've, I'm very happy with this now. Mm. So you studied <clears throat> until your master's and at the Charles University in Prague? Yes, that's correct. And um, what were your reasons to become a mathematician? Ah, that's a good question. I think I decided somehow at high school, when I saw that mathematics is difficult for many people in my class, many students, and I thought, well, for me it's kind of easy, so I should probably take the advantage of this. And that's when I decided to go to the uh, Char to study at the Charles University and to study mathematics. Yeah. And then I still wanted to. I think I didn't want to stay in academia. I think even then, after my masters, I went to France for my PhD. And during my first year in France, I still wanted to go to the private sector after my PhD. And all of this somehow changed in the second year when suddenly things started making sense. 
So in my second year of, of the PhD, I decided, hmm, I think I want to keep doing this. And so now I'm here. <laughs> so how did you end up doing your PhD in France? I always wanted to go abroad. Mm -hmm. And my I had an amazing advisor for my master's thesis. And he told me about a joint PhD program between the Czech Republic and France. This was organized by the French government, and they also offered funding to PhD students from uh, various countries to go to France and do their PhDs there. And so I applied for that funding. Well, first I had to learn French, but then I applied. I did an interview in French, and I got the funding. Yeah. And it was actually my uh, Prague advisor who contacted the professor in France and proposed to him that I would go there. Mm. This would be, have been my next question, if you would, ha if you had to learn French for that. Or at that point in time, you had to learn French for that, maybe. <laughs> um, so I think I wasn't really, really obliged to, but I wanted to. Mm. So when I decided to go to France, I started learning French. And I think like in one year, I did this interview, but I really focused a lot on learning French. So I attended some classes and I did really a lot. Mm. So, but the topic of your PhD was then posed by the persons in, in Rennes? Yes, exactly. He then basically became my main PhD advisor. Mm. Even officially, my Prague advisor was still also in my Rennes. advisor. Oh, okay. Ah, okay, because this was a joint project mm -hmm. and you have from, from both sides. Exactly. And so, but this PhD then is also um, a PhD which is valid in the Czech system. Yeah, so I have two diplomas, actually. Mm. There was only one PhD thesis, there was only one defense, but in the end I have a paper from both universities. Mm. I had um, one um, common PhD with a French university also here in Karlsruhe a few mm. years ago. Yeah, it was kind of interesting because there was a certain procedure to follow. Um, and um, everybody had to kind of um, go halfway because the system in France and here is completely yes, <laughs> absolutely yeah, yeah. different. But I think it's a very good experience. I would certainly recommend it further. For me, it was I was really one semester in France, one semester in the Czech Republic, mm -hmm. but I actually worked with my French advisor, yeah, only with him basically. My Prague advisor was then more like a support, sort of background support. And, but they are very different mathematicians, like totally different. My French advisor is more uh, like this intuitive professor who just knows things and doesn't need to read any books or study. He just has this really powerful intuition. On the other hand, my advisor in Prague is someone who knows all the books, who knows all the literature, what is out there. And so for me, this was very interesting because depending on the kind of question I had, I would either ask uh, one or the other. Yeah. And afterwards, you decided to work in Germany. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> That's so halfway Yeah, yeah, it, it was a bit for personal reasons. Also, I wanted to be closer to the Czech Republic. Yeah, so you entered um, the, in Leipzig at um, the Institute for... At the Max Planck Institute. Max Planck Institute, yes. And um, comparing the cultures in Rennes and Prague, was it, uh, again, a different mathematical culture here in Germany? Yes, yes. So 
very different. So for me, I, I like Germany somehow the most out of these three countries. Uh, I think I feel definitely more German than I feel French. I think I might even feel more German than I feel Czech. <laughs> But yeah, certainly I, I like... Uh, I like how it works at German universities, how the research is. Um, I like the big research projects, which is something that doesn't really exist in France. In the Czech Republic, is it also very different? Yeah, yeah, of course. Always the question who pays for the research and then uh, how this is organized. Um, so um, what would be wishes for the next future <laughs> concerning your research? What would be the next step? What would you like to prove? Um, so, well, I would like to understand the stationary solutions for the compressible fluids somehow more. Because as I today gave the motivation from turbulence, we are still very far from there. But still, I, I hope that we could learn something more. So, for instance, uh, how is it with the vacuum states within the stationary solutions. Because usually stationary solutions are better. Could we maybe then say something about the vacuum state that maybe they do not appear? That would be somehow the wish. But yeah, so far we don't know. Mm -hmm. So then um, I'm curious when I will have the conversation with you about these results. <laughs> And I'm thanking you very much for taking the time to have the conversation with me. My pleasure. Thank you very much.